Hey everyone, welcome to the 45th episode of Baseline Intelligence, the podcast designed to make you a better tennis player and a smarter athlete. I'm your host, Jonathan Stokey. Today's guest is Franco Herrero. Franco is one of the premier fitness coaches in the tennis industry, having worked with Tommy Paul, Riley Opelka, Monica Puig, and Sophia Kennan. On today's episode, we discuss the normal routine with Tommy, how adults can recover faster after a match, and what parts of the body you should focus on strengthening. So sit back, relax, and prepare to become a smarter tennis player. All right, Franco, welcome to the pod. Hi, Jonathan. How are you doing? Doing great, man. Excited to have you on. We were just talking before recording. You have set the all-time Instagram question record, like double, twice as many. People are asking amazing questions. So they are excited to hear what you have to say. Like we said, no pressure for you at all today. All right. I mean, yeah, I, I do have some pressure. Actually, that surprised me because I saw the other day when you post about me being on the podcast that Paul Anacon is going to be on it too. So I was like, man, come on, don't put me next to Paul Anacon. You know, he's a, he's a legend. So I'm excited. Let's go for it. So funny. So, you know, to, to start off, maybe some people aren't fully familiar with your background, but, you know, you work with a bunch of great juniors. You also work with some notable pros right now, most notably probably Tommy Paul. Before we get started with all the in-depth questions, can you just briefly share your journey to becoming a fitness coach and kind of how you got hooked up with Tommy and some of these other guys? Yeah, absolutely. So, well, I'm from Argentina, a city called Bahia Blanca. It's a small city in Buenos Aires province. And uh, both of my parents are strength and conditioning coaches. They both actually are gym owners. And since I was a kid, from when I was five years old until I was 18, I played tennis, not at an extremely high level. I would say that, I mean, I could have gone Division two school here in college, for example, in the States. And then, I mean, I grew up basically inside the gym and at the same time playing tennis. So what I did is I studied physical education in Argentina and I tried to put both things, you know, that, that were my passions together. And that's how I got into the strength and conditioning for tennis players. So I, I have a tennis background there. In 2013, a friend of mine that used to work forever at Tennis Academy, a tennis academy in Boca Raton, Florida, offered me an internship there for three months. So I came in, I worked for them for three months. And then in 2014, actually, I, I moved to the States. And I work uh, at the academy uh, from 2014 to 2018. Then after that, in 2018, I had already had an experience with a professional tennis player from my city, with Guido Pella from Argentina. And then uh, 2018, I, I, I went independent. Basically, I started working on my own. I left the academy working with Monica Puig. And uh, after Monica, basically, I, I decided not to work like privately anymore, you know, with players. But I stay on the professional, you know, tennis work. And, uh, and I started working with Tommy in 2019. Uh, mid-2019 is when I started with him. He was still part of the USDA program. And then by the end of the year, I actually, before the end of the year, we started working. He left the USDA, you know, he started working with Brad Stein, with who he's working nowadays too. I know he's been on the podcast too. He told me the other day. And I work with uh, diff many different programs, uh, professionals, sorry, as you mentioned, through these years and juniors. I really enjoy working with juniors. And that's pretty much my, my story, a little brief of my story. So when you start working with a player like Tommy, how do you analyze or decide what type of exercises you're going to do, what parts of the body you're going to try to improve? Like, what does that process look like in the beginning? Basically, I, I try to observe a lot. 
I like observing the athlete in the gym and uh, when I'm doing, you know, like on-course sessions or conditioning sessions and stuff like that. And also on the court. A lot of, I think that a lot of it has to do with the communication with the coach. Like uh, being able to, as a strength and conditioning coach, to assist the coach in, in anything he needs. You know, I feel like I'm a, I like talking to the coach and, and asking him, okay, how can I assist you? for the player to be able to perform on court better. I feel that's my role. You know, I try to understand my role very well and knowing that I'm I'm just trying to assist the coach and being, okay, how can we help Tommy to become a better tennis player from a strength and conditioning point? What can I bring to the table? I think I do a lot through observation. Then, of course, like as you start like working out and stuff like that, there's different types of testing that you can do to check his conditioning, his speed, his agility, his uh, strength. And when you put all those things together, you decide, okay, what are his his weaknesses? What are his strengths? And based on that, you know, you try to maximize his strengths and, and of course, improve as much as you can his weaknesses. And understanding always that that it is a process. It's not, you know, something that from one day to the other, as I mentioned, I've been with Tommy since 2019. Of course, right now, you know, he's getting a lot of attention, but but it's been a process, you know, of, of four years that's been going on, of improving on, on different areas, different aspects, understanding that you can improve, even though sometimes as coaches, you know, we want to rush things and, you know, we really want things to improve certain things right now. It's a process, you know, you got to go step by step, you got to build up. And uh, and then when everything comes together, things like, you know, that are going on right now with Tony happen. So it's just respecting that those times and those processes, it's just time sometimes. Would your best advice then be for the amateur player or a junior player listening to make sure if they have a strength coach on the side, almost maybe try to set up some time for the tennis coach to talk to the strength coach so they can be working together? Because a lot of times that's super independent. Like the strength coach never sees the person play a tennis point in their life. Yeah, no, I I I fully believe that that is the key. I think it has to do a lot with the... And our, the vision that I have as, uh, you know, as being a team member that uh, you have to, I try to, even though I have multiple players, pros and juniors, as I mentioned, I try to have a lot of communication with their coaches constantly and with the player. And and anytime I have the opportunity, like anytime one of my players is playing, actually right now, Alexander Kovacevic is playing the qualities at US Open and I was just watching it. And probably once the podcast is over, I'm going to keep watching. So I try to watch them play as much as I can. And uh, constantly be talking with the coaches, and yeah, I definitely recommend them to to work as a team because that's the best way to to make things happen and to improve you know the players' game. This question is somewhat of a joke, but I actually want to know the answer. Jessica Bagula asked an Instagram question, and I'm curious where speed comes from. Uh, so her question was, "What makes Tommy so freaking fast?" But I wonder if you can. <laughs> break, that down, break that down a little bit because everyone's trying to add speed to their game. But what does make someone like him so quick around the court? Oh, I, I'm surprised Jess uh, showed up on the questions. I mean, that's great. I mean, first of all, I would say I'm very lucky of working with Tommy. And, and when I say that, I mean it because he's an unbelievable athlete. And, you know, some things, of course, as we all know, you know, they're related to genetics. And uh, I think that genetically he's a guy that he's able to produce you know like force into the ground and apply it really well and that makes him to be a fast guy second i think that it's been like a key role in his career the fact that since he was very young tommy was exposed to different sports tommy played like pretty much like 
all the sports except soccer, which he hates and, and it hurts me because I'm Argentinian. But uh, he was exposed to a lot of sports. And I think that that on the sensitive stages, you know, on the on the first part of uh, an athlete's career and in kids, it's a super important thing. And third, of course, there is a component that has to do with that, you know, with the, the fact that he he has a pretty well balanced between he has pretty good levels of strength. He's really good at applying that strength. And that, that's where the power comes in, you know, like a guy that is able to apply that, that strength on a pathway, you know, it becomes like, Perfect. That's when powerful, and that's when uh, you know the the fitness coach role comes in. You know, and trying to be able to design programs that allows him to become stronger, and then to be, be able to apply the force that that strength, sorry, fast. And then also there is mechanical things. I think that a lot has to do with his mechanics. Like if you see Tommy running, I think he he's a guy that has really good mechanics. And well, this is probably a deeper conversation. You know, the way he applies the force to create acceleration is really good. And on the court, you don't really get to see, you know, the, the linear speed. Probably if you make Tommy run next to another guy in a 50-meter race, he might not be the fastest one. But he's really good at uh, on those first, you know, steps of acceleration. And it's probably also a mechanical thing. So the combination of all those things, I think, is what makes him to be such a, a good athlete and a, and a fast guy. Hey man, th- this is a deep podcast. We want we want the specific answers, so you're you're all good. If you could actually, I'm I'm curious. Like when you're talking about the mechanics of running and applying force, is there a way for someone like me who doesn't know that much that you could kind of explain what those simple basics or fundamentals to apply your strength and create force so you can move quicker? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, first of all, like the strength, uh, of course, improving the the overall strength on the on the lower limbs especially is going to be pretty key that of course combined with the with power exercises like it can be like jumps or lifting exercises where the guy is moving weight at a fast pace yeah that's going to be like the combination of those things are going to be clutch but regarding the mechanics i mean i'm I'm a true believer and especially on, on early stages like when when they're kids you know with kids and stuff like that of uh, exposing them to learn the right, the correct, sorry, running mechanics. Uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, athletics. And uh, like, if you see all my players, like from juniors to pros, I try to make a lot of emphasis on their speed form. You know, like a lot of the, the, the track exercises, I think they are great for this, you know, to, to clean up the technique so the athlete is able, especially working, you know, on different starts, on different ways of accelerating, different angles and stuff like that. So the athlete is able to apply the force, as I was talking, uh, into the ground the right way so he can become or she can become faster. Um, so a lot has to do with that for me, you know, like not only like sometimes you can ask the, play, the player, you know, or the person to run faster, but you can only run so fast, you know. So I think that the combination between the strength work, the power work, the work on the mechanics, the correct technique for running, sprinting, uh, and also the repetition. Sometimes, I mean, you got to repeat like running fast. Like you got you to gotta, you gotta do actions where you're running fast and, and changing direction and stuff like that. As you know, and to complete the answer, you know, in tennis, it's, it's not only about the linear speed. I've been talking a lot about the running mechanics, but it's also about many times the ability to change direction. So 
working on the correct mechanics also of deceleration, uh, working on the on like being able to decelerate on accelerate on different angles, you know, like like changing a direction on a 90 angle degree on a 180 angle degree, like different angles. So the athlete is exposed to different angles to apply the force, you know? And um, I think that the combination of all those things are probably what makes Tommy a very good athlete. He's very even all around, I would say, you know, in all those things that I was just talking about, he's very even, he's really good at, in all of them. He might not be the strongest, but he's pretty strong. He might not be the most powerful, but he's pretty powerful. Like all those things, he does them really well. So in the summer circuit here in the hard courts, there's just tournament after tournament, and it's leading up to the U.S. Open now. What does his off-court training look like when he's deep into a lot of tournaments and there's a lot of events on the schedule? How does that differ maybe from like an off-season workout? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always, tennis is a, I always say, you know, it's a um, all year round calendar. So it, it makes it like way different to other sports where, you know, you know, when your preseason is going to be, you know, how it's going to last, how long it's going to last, you know, when your matches are, you know, the length of your matches. In tennis, you don't even know the length of the match. So that's pretty unique. And you know how deep your player is going to go in the tournament. Like, for example, we just had Tommy, like, going into a very deep run into Montreal and then also like getting some matches in, in like flying from Montreal to Cincinnati and then getting matches into Cincinnati. So during the events themselves, I mean, we do a lot of like injury prevention, core work. We get a lot of mobility. We try to improve everything that has to do with his mobility, his ranges of motion. I don't do like a lot of the traveling. A lot of the traveling is done by Seba, his physio, Sebastian Cosarin. As I mentioned before, you know, we work as a team, coach, physio, fitness coach, and we try to address all the things, you know, that need to be addressed together. So I'm in a constant communication with Seba to schedule, you know, his fitness and what things we should do according to how things go. Like if Tommy goes into a super physical match, you know, a three-set match and stuff like that, probably the next day he's going to have a lot to do with with Seba doing treatment, working on his mobility, his ranges of motion, stuff like that. Now, if he's lucky, you know, and he goes through a match quick and, and he wins, like, pretty quick, then probably we can, the following day during the warm-up, include more exercises, you know, from injury prevention perspective, core. And so it's very a day-to-day work in that sense. Then, for example, after he finished Cincinnati, we got this uh, week and a half that he had the Hamptons training. And we've been trying to use it and take advantage of it as much as we can. We try to load as much as we can, like from since the moment we arrive until I would say tomorrow, Thursday. And probably on Friday, we're going to start the the deload phase where it's going to be a lot of less physical activity and getting more into the the tennis specifics, you know, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday is going to, be a lot about his time on court and having high quality on the court and him feeling good. So you really depend on how the player does through the weeks. Hopefully, you know, you're always looking into the player going deep into the week, but that also creates the problem that if if they start going deep into the week, like you're not able to get a lot of stimulus as a fitness coach. So you're constantly designing and, and trying to get as much content as you can without affecting performance no you want to you want to fatigue the player and affect the performance performance is always the the most important thing but you want to keep the player healthy through the season so you're always balancing you know on that thin line 
of, of those things. So like I said, we have a ton of Instagram questions and honestly, every question in this episode has been inspired by things that people have been asking about, but a lot of adults asking questions and you were just kind of mentioning maybe the recovery after a long match. What are some recovery tips that an amateur player could use that doesn't have access to maybe like high-tech technology or amenities? What are some things people can do to recover after like a long grueling match in the summer? Look, we don't have, uh, I mean, great technology things, you know, in terms of recovery. Our, our recoveries are pretty, like, normal. But, but I think that some of the most important things are definitely, like, I would say nutrition. Nutrition, like, trying to replenish, like, carbs, protein, like, you know, the essential resources of energy uh, as fast as possible. I think that, that that is one of the main cues. Also, of course, hydration. Then that's when the supplementation comes in, you know, and, and takes a very important role. Uh, of course, I don't want to like prescribe absolutely anything, but, uh, you know, we do use different supplements like proteins, amino acids. Uh, in some certain periods of the year, we might use creatine. We also use uh, multi multivitamins. Uh, so all those things, that's when the supplementation is uh, plays a really important role. Then we try to do like in terms of stretchings and, uh, and mobility, we try to go through a pretty good routine. Tommy usually works with his physiotherapist for an hour. After his matches, you know, he might work with his physiotherapist. And then ice. We do the ice bath. Yeah, during a, There is different protocols. I think that you, you can do different protocols of ice bath only or, or contrast with the cold and, and hot. Like there is different protocols to use on that area. But I think that those are probably the, the most important things. And of course, sleep. And I think that those are things that everyone can have access to. Maybe not the physio. I mean, not everyone has a private physio. But if you can, I don't know, give yourself the chance to at least like once a week or, or twice a week work with a physiotherapist, that, that's really good, you know, to, to take care of the body and to, and to protect it from having any sort of injuries. Like if you have the opportunity to get into a physio like Wednesdays and Saturdays, I mean, that, that's a pretty good setup, I would say. For ice baths, uh, that's something we used to do at Duke. And, you know, when we were on the road, they'd put a bunch of ice in like a bathtub or whatever. If there are people out there listening who are intense enough to go, you know what? Cool. I'm going to start ice bathing maybe after a tough match. Uh, base, I know there are different protocols, but how long and, and how soon after a match would you recommend ice bathing? Usually we do it after, I mean, after uh, stretching, like usually after, right after the match, Tommy would take, you know, his supplements. And he would go through a, a quick stretch, you know, like we would probably like take like five, ten minutes to, to get a good stretch. Some players like hopping on the on the bicycle too, you know, they will like hop on the bicycle right after while they are taking also, you know, their supplements and then they will go through a quick stretch and right after hop on the on the on the ice. In terms of the ice, I mean as I said, there is different protocols. We usually go like for a steady between six to ten minutes. The water temperature usually is around 12 degrees, somewhere like, I'm talking in Celsius here, but some people go in between like 10 to 15 degrees. As I said, there is, there is different protocols with contrast of three minutes and three minutes, two minutes and two minutes, one minute, and you stay a little longer on the other one. But I think it has to do a lot also with building the tolerance. And, and as I said, this can go like into another super deep conversation. Uh, we usually do it like a... Um, like a steady, as I say, six, eight to 10 minutes, depending on the length of the match, probably we'll do like different amount of time. 
what types of exercises would you, well, this is actually a loaded question, but what type of exercises would you recommend for players over 40 who are looking to improve their aerobic performance? Okay. I mean, it's a, usually, you know, for when you're working on, it's a, it's a long answer. I told, I told, I, you. I, I told you yeah, it was loaded. It's an interesting question. I mean, uh, when you're working on sports, you know, like many years ago, the, the interval training and the high intensity interval training and all these type of exercises came out because back in the days, you know, people used to just go for a run or, or go for a bike ride and they would go for long, steady runs or bike rides and stuff like that. And basically, the it's really good for our capacity, but at the same time, you're stimulating the, the slow twitch fibers. Yeah. And then we all know that sports happen at a, at a fast pace uh, you know things happen fast in sports so that's when all the interval training came in and the different like protocols of work you know with different types of work and duration or track work or all those things came in because they will allow to stimulate all the capacity without uh, dropping the intensity and the speed of the exercise so much yeah? so that's basically a little bit of the background of how things happen now the ways to simulate, I think that that is probably the best way through intervals, through track work, those kind of things where you're not moving. And also, especially for adults, because as we become older, we start losing first the, the explosive like twitch fibers. Yeah. And that is very important. You know, like people, as they become older, like that's the first thing we lose. And that's why it's so important also as we get old to prevent sarcopenia. That is the loss of muscle mass and, and osteoporosis in women and stuff like that. That is the loss basically on the on the bone density and stuff to do like strength training and also to do exercises at, at high speed. Of course, I'm not saying like max intensity, but, uh, you know, a, a higher speed that allows us to stay fast also, you know, and at the same time, we can stimulate the, the conditioning. Now, of course, there is, uh, and here's where the, trick, the tricky part of the question comes, is that, as we all know, you know, as you start getting older, and, you know, the impact on the joints can create different issues. So my recommendation probably would be to find the balance according to your studying condition, yeah, of everything, like how strong you are. Like, if you tell me, it's a totally different answer if you're a person that has been doing something. Uh, like, I don't know, oh, yeah, man, I do fitness like every day of the week compared to someone that has never done anything. But um, I think that based on your starting line, I mean, you want to work on these interval, uh, intervals and, and different activities uh, with or without impact and mix it up between that. You know, like, uh, like I have an adult that I work with. I'm just going to get an example here but that has been working with me for the last two years and a half. And he's been exposed to strength training, power training. He does, you know, like conditioning, like I would do with any of my players on the track, off the track, um, with impact, without impact. But he's been training, you know, for a certain period of time. So I, I know what I'm doing and I know how much impact his body can tolerate. So my recommendation would be that, you know, like trying to play around that, like with bike, with Versa Climber, with the a soul bike rower outside running. Like, of course, I, I'm a huge fan of outside running, but you, you got to pay attention to, you know, to where your starting position is. You don't want to get hurt trying to do something crazy out there and, and putting too much impact on your body. 
So if someone is less experienced with off-court strength and conditioning, maybe you would recommend some bodyweight exercises. What are some of your favorite bodyweight exercises that can help either strength training or explosive movement? What are some of your favorite exercises for those things? I think that, I mean, if, if you haven't been exposed much to, to training, I mean, there is no, it, it doesn't need to be body weight. You know, it can be like different, you, you can use weight. The thing is, uh, you got to do it with the right form, with the proper form. I, I'm a big believer that if you get a proper form, there's no reason why not to load up. So my recommendation to start would be to learn the basic exercises. If we're talking, now we're talking inside the gym, the squat pattern, the hinge pattern, the lunge pattern, the push pattern on, on both angles, horizontal and vertical, and the pulling pattern, horizontal and vertical, and work on the core. Like those things, if you learn the right pattern on those things technically, then you can start like progressively overload, like start loading them up more and more. Yeah, But I think that my recommendation for someone that hasn't been exposed is to learn those things really well technically and then like gradually build them up and they won't have any issue as long as they're performed with the right technique. So difficult. Of course, every question here has the caveat of everybody's body is different. Everyone's at a different place in their journey. But specifically, like if you were to say, generally speaking, the most important part of the body that you could build up and be strong with as a tennis player, what, what's that most important part of the body that you want to make sure you're solid with? The, the legs, definitely the lower body. The lower limbs are the ones that like, as you say, you know, speed is key also, you know, to prevent like any type of injury. I think that the, the, the legs are the most important. They're the ones that are going to carry you around the court. So if I have to choose one, that, that will be my answer. Then we can, we can make it way longer. You know, and when I talk about the legs, I talk all the lower limb, but I think that is probably the most important thing for an athlete, no doubt. Um, that doesn't mean that the upper body is not important. There is a lot of injuries in tennis that happen on the upper body, like on the shoulder area, on the elbow area, on the wrist area. So it's super important too to keep them strong too. But uh, yeah, if I have to choose one, the one that is going to make you perform better, definitely it's going to be the, the, upper, the lower body, sorry. It's funny, when I was in at Duke, I was on the road one time. I don't know if you've seen me. I, I do have big calves. Those came from my dad. Like that's genetic. They're, they're massive calves, but my upper body was super skinny and I forget what place we were playing at, but the guys in the crowd were yelling at me and telling me I was lopsided because my quads and my calves were like massive. And then I had these like string being arms, but like I could move around the court well. And, you know, I was like, I think I'd rather have stronger legs. Like I was still popping my serve, even though I was pretty thin, but is there a part of the leg, you know, you're saying, having stronger lower limbs, is that quad, is that calves, is that hamstring, is that glute, is that all of the above? What does that look like? No, I would say all of the above. All of the above, they have different, you know, importance and different, depending on on the angle, on the pattern that you're moving, uh, on the way you're moving, uh, they're going to have different importance. Uh, so, But they're all important. They're all important on certain aspects. Uh, so I think that definitely like strengthening the whole lower limb, it's, it's super important from the glutes, Going down to the hamstrings, the calves, all even the tibialis are like you want to get you know any sort of shin splints or that type of injury. Uh, you know the stiffness on the ankle that comes a lot from the work on the gastrocnemius, the soles, and stuff like that is super important. You know on those ply, to work on the plyometrics uh, is super important. To, like we're talking about, you know Tommy being fast and stuff like that. I think that's also one of the main the main 
things. The hip is super important. The glutes are important to extend the hip and, and make an athlete also move fast. Like, you know, like working on hip thrust has a great correlation with sprinting. So, yeah, I mean, all, all around, I think the lower limb is, is super, super key. Another Instagram question here. You just mentioned kind of Tommy's quickness again. You know, the change of direction on the court is obviously most important because like you said, it's not like you're running a 50-yard dash to get to a forehand. Do you have a favorite on-court drill for speed and then changing direction? I wouldn't say I have a favorite. I mean, I have, uh, as I was saying before, I think that my favorite thing is exposing the athlete to change direction on different angles with different distances as much as I can. So it's not the same to change direction when you've been accelerating for five meters to when you have done 10 meters, you know, like where you have reached way higher speeds and you got to start decelerating probably before so you can get well standing to a change of direction that when you have only five meters, probably you like two fast steps and then the rest is adjustment and deceleration to take your change direction. So I think that exposing the athlete to different angles and different lengths of, on the changes of direction is what makes the key. From there, you can think anything. I mean, I can make an athlete run probably five meters and five meters back, like just back and forth. Or the same thing, I can do like five meters and then a 45-degree angle change, you know, and go five meters this way. And then I can go 10-10. And then, and then of course, the idea is to build it up, you know, from less change of direction to, to more changes of direction. I try to do like a progression through the session in which I go from probably linear speed to work on short deceleration, just on technique of deceleration to one change of direction, two changes of direction. And then, of course, the more aggressive is the change of the right, the angle of the change of direction. I try to play around with that, you know, like starting with changes of direction where the angle is less aggressive to leaning into changes of direction where the angle is more like aggressive or, or you know, you're fully changing from one side to the other one. Yeah, the demand for the body is completely different. You right now speaking directly to the amateur player who's listening, this is a brutal one. If you can only stress one thing for strength and conditioning or fitness, one thing that you could give someone that they could take away with them from this episode, what would that be? To to be simple. To be simple, like if I if I would have to give them something, is to be simple. Like uh, strength and condition, I always say, is, of course, you know it has progressed. It has, uh, you know, it's getting deeper and deeper. But I think that the basic, doing the basic things well, are the ones that make uh, like have results pretty fast. Sometimes people try to, yeah, definitely this would be what I what I would like to leave. Like sometimes people tries to make things over complicated. Uh, just to you know to look cool to oh like I like to put an exercise on Instagram you know that looks super complex and at the end of the day the most important thing is to be simple most of the things that we do on a day in day out thing with a professional tennis player is a repetition of the basic things just trying to do them well and when I'm talking about this I'm talking about like as I say on the strength area the basic patterns that I mentioned just repeating them over and over and over, and the the same on the on the power area and on the ter- in terms of the speed, trying to have the right running mechanics, learning the running mechanics and repeating them over and over and over, trying to make them better every time. Uh, the same on the other basic movements like the shuffle, the crossover, 
But before you get into, you know, the specifics of the sport, also learning the things that make any athlete a better athlete. I heard a football coach, uh, Mike Tomlin, the other day, they were asking him like his famous sayings. And one of the players said, you've got to make the routine plays routinely. And what I just heard you was like, hey, you got to do the simple things all the time. And if you do those simple things and you're consistent with them, that you'll get in better shape or better fitness. Is that about sum it up? That that is absolutely what I mean. I mean, there, there's nothing, there's no secret. I mean, to me, I always, you know, a lot of people now, especially with the whole Tommy thing, you know, going, I'm, I'm like, dude, like, there's nothing weird. I mean, we don't do anything crazy. There's no, there's no secret here. I mean, you just work over and over and over, and you try to make the simple things, the basic things, well, and then at some point, you know, things happen. You know, of course, then the player has to. At the end of the day, also, I mean, there are tennis players and the player has to play good tennis. So uh, th that's where the key is, you know, like trying to, and that's a job that comes from the tennis coach. And then with us as fitness coaches, trying to assist them as much as we can. Franco, I can't thank you enough. You were so gracious to give us time. I know you're in the Hamptons. You're getting ready for the biggest tournament, at least for Americans in the world at the U.S. Open with Tommy. And so... Can't thank you enough for your wisdom, your insight, your knowledge, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Anytime. I mean, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope people enjoy it. Yeah. Take care. All right. I want to thank Franco for coming on. I have to be honest, when I'm asking these great players and coaches questions, deep down, I want to hear a secret. I want them to say something that nobody has ever heard, some secret shortcut to getting better. And Franco really drove the point home today, again, that there is no secret. It's just doing the simple things with discipline for an extended period of time. So keep it simple, do your stretching, take care of your body, and do the routine things routinely. I want to thank you all for listening. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm grateful you chose to join me today. I'm motivated to evolve and improve, so please subscribe if you enjoyed the episode and leave a comment or review so we keep getting better every week. For more, check out my Instagram at Stokey Tennis for clips from these podcasts, as well as general drills and tips to help your tennis game. Thanks for listening. I hope you just improved at tennis without even hitting a ball.